Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, here on webtalkradio.net, and I am just so delighted that you have stopped by my kitchen once again. And for those new listeners, a very special welcome and a quick background about Kitchen Chat. Each week, we feature on this show some wonderful chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, uh, food experts, culinary guides, just anything and everything about food. So you are at the right kitchen here. I am so excited about today's very, very special guest, and you'll definitely want to tune in to both segments. Um, It's just my pleasure to introduce to you today Chef Christopher Costell. You probably um, recognize that name. He is executive chef of the Meadowood in Napa Valley, a very prestigious restaurant, which is uh, one of the very few with three Michelin stars. It's very exciting. And he was also featured on Iron Chef, and he beat the Iron Chef. So we'll have to get some inside info about that. But without further ado, Chef Christopher, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Nice, nice, Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so glad you're here with us. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about this Iron Chef experience and uh, what you cooked to beat the Iron Chef. Um, it's one of those things that that you uh, you debate us whether you want to do to begin with because it's uh, it's certainly a departure from what we do on a day to day basis. The whole television chef thing, running around and. Right. Cooking against the clock or cooking out of a vending machine or all these silly things. It's really not what we do or certainly not what we pride ourselves on. So we did it. We enjoyed the experience. Um, people still to this day like to talk about it. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we went against uh, Cat Cora um, and uh, it was Battle Oatmeal. So we had to use some dishes <laughs> using oatmeal. It was a very fun experience. Probably the last time I'll, uh, I'll do such a thing, I think. Oh, well, goodness. Well, you, I've just, uh, I'm so impressed with your culinary background. You, by, before age 30, were a Michelin-starred chef. Um, yes, where ma'am. did that happen? Uh, we, uh, I, I took over a restaurant called Shea TJ, which is south of San Francisco in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, there's my first chef position. We were very fortunate that first year, especially the first year the guide came out in the Bay Area. Very fortunate, very surprised to uh, to get our first star that year, and then, you know, even more surprised the second year when we got our second, which is kind of a, was kind of an unheard of thing at the time. Oh. Um, so it was really just very fortuitous. Uh, it was really a, a wonderful you know, first chef opportunity. It's a very small restaurant. Um, had really all the tools at our disposal. Really, it was all about the food. It was it was wonderful. That is terrific. And then congratulations. I understand that um, you your restaurant there, the Meadowwood in Napa Valley, is re- received a three star Michelin. Rating. Yes, so, so congratulations. Yes, that is just thank excellent. you. <laughs> that uh, that uh, we're very we're certainly very proud of that. It's been uh, there's a lot of obviously work um, on the part of many 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 people that go into that. I'm, I'm the one who always gets to talk about it, but there's a uh, there's a couple dozen people uh, whose efforts uh, have made that possible. 
Oh, that is terrific. Um, and how does that work? I mean, does does Michelin come in, and are there a lot of tastings, or do you even know your? Uh, you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't know when they're there. I mean, they come in. I think the first time we got the first year we got our third star, they need to come in. After the fact, they told us I think ten or eleven times, but you have no idea when they're in. Wow, uh, That's so incredible. You just kind of. I mean, again, and we don't we don't cook for the stars. Right. We uh, yeah. we we do what we do, and uh, we're we're certainly happy to get them though. Exactly, and you got to the heart of what it's all about, and I so respect this about you, Chef. Um, I read that you embrace food memories and and just really cook from your heart. Uh, what inspired you to, to become a chef and, and to um, provide the spontaneity and pairing? I understand you paired um, strawberries with foie gras. <laughs> what do we you... Do, we, yeah, we... Um... You know, I think if you're not cooking from food memories, I don't know what you're really cooking from. I mean, that, that's really the only frame of reference, I think, as a chef or as a cook that you have is things that you've tasted before. Um, so that's sort of a natural jumping off point. Um, I, I, I very much enjoy the field. I think um, at every level I've done this, it was, you know, as a cook or washing dishes or, you know, with the name on the jacket, I, I very much enjoy being in the kitchen and working with the staff and uh, we're lucky. We're lucky in this business to be able to do what we enjoy doing so much, and to uh, and to call the, to call it our profession. Yes, and it's a profession with passion, and and it's just wonderful what what you've created and and prepared. And to think you have your roots here in the Chicago area, and I understand uh, sure. one summer is that right when you're at Ravinia, the local that's, you know festival. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that where is. we. That's where we. That, that's where we first started cooking was uh, was at Ravinia when I, I think I want to say I want to say I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. Oh, wow. So it really had an impact uh, early on. Well, I definitely want to let our listeners know about this incredible uh, tradition that you are hosting there at Meadowood in Napa Valley, the 12 Days of Christmas. And what I love about this, not only the food and menu and pairing with with, uh, uh, wine and everything, but but the fact that you invite other chefs into your kitchen to prepare the meal for, you know, a specific day. They're assigned for the 12 days of Christmas and the fact that it benefits a charity. So, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about this charity that it benefits? Uh, Share Our Strength is our, is our charity partner. Um, their their goal is to end childhood hunger in America, uh, which is obviously a, a goal pretty easy to get behind. Um, so we we transfer all proceeds from the event uh, go directly to Sheriff Strength. So the the chefs themselves this year and every year are really sort of the luminaries in the profession. Um, we have an unbelievable lineup this year. Uh, really young, very up and coming, very very talented guys. And we always look forward to kind of opening our kitchen up to them. That is just great. And could you please um, maybe highlight a couple that that you're um, really looking forward to having in your kitchen? Wow. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, they're all they're all they're all pretty amazing. We start out this weekend with Michael Solomon off from Philadelphia. That's Friday night. Saturday night is Kelly English from Memphis. Next week we've got you know Curtis Duffy from Chicago, Sean Brock from Charleston, Shin Takagi from Japan. We've got we got a lot of good guys coming in. We are really really excited. Oh, that's great. And and um they do you know in advance about the menu they're they're providing? Uh, we, we have we 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 pair the chefs with the local vendors and we sort of develop the menus in concert with the vendors. Um so we have all the menus lined up. I'm not sure if they're online just yet. Okay. Uh, but they probably you can check at www.meadowood.com, M E A D O W O O D.com. 
Great, great. And um, what dish really uh, on the menu kind of jumps out at you this year? Um, what's interesting, I think, year over year is the things that you see on um, more than one menu. And there's every year it seems like there's certain ingredients that a lot of chefs are gravitating towards. Um, I think this year you're seeing a lot of squab. I think about, I mean, the time of the year dictates that as well. You see a lot yeah. of squab, you're seeing a lot of sea urchin. Um, every year there seems to be these. I don't know if it's the trends or the themes or what it is, but you seem to you seem to see a lot of parallels. Interesting. Now I'm wondering there because um, I've noticed quite a bit here. It's black garlic seems to be a yeah uh, yeah. I mean that was uh, I don't know if any black garlic can be as many this year, but it's certainly something that you see once in a while. It's, a, it's actually a very cool product. Yes, it is. Now what is on your plate? What's on your menu? Because are you cooking? We don't honestly. Different? Honestly, we don't know yet. <laughs> We're. Uh, <laughs> We, uh, you know, we have a couple of weeks before we uh, we do my night, which is the 12th night of Christmas. Ah. Um, so, we, you know, I actually use this time to do a lot of menu development for, for the restaurant, and we kind of play around with different stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I think what, what, what we find over the next two weeks as far as our, our tries and uh, our uh, menu development will kind of dictate what's going to be on that final menu. Oh, that sounds great. Now, I know, you know, as I mentioned before, that, that you're really influenced by a lot of your own food memories. What would you, what would be very special about the holiday season that, that you would enjoy at home? And do you think you might possibly incorporate something from that into your menu? Um, yeah, I think, you know, we actually just finished Thanksgiving, obviously, and, and it's, a really, it's really cool to see that that parallel, that idea of taking something that's inherently rustic and, and home-style cooking, a Thanksgiving meal, and, and and turning it into a restaurant experience. And we do it every year. We kind of re-examine what that relationship is. And this year, we really kept, honestly, kept really close to home um, with the presentations of things. And we didn't go too over-elaborate or too technical. We just refined everything in a little bit. So I think that I think the thing we said about perhaps about our Christmas menu as well, Maybe using some of those familiar ingredients. Maybe using a goose. Maybe using pork shank in lieu of ham or something like that. Um, but really, you know, not not straying too far from those sort of classical things. Right, right. You don't stray far, very far from home. That's where for your heart is with the food. Um, now, right. what is one of the most challenging things of having all of these incredible chefs in your kitchen? <laughs> I have to I have to take all of them out drinking every night. Which is, uh, <laughs> it's called the twelve called the twelve days of dialysis. Oh no! <laughs> the subtitle for that. Yeah. That is great. So so everyone just kind of all hangs around in the kitchen together and helps each other for for their night. Very 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 much so. It's my 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 staff is at their service, and there's always nights where there's three chefs maybe in the kitchen at the same time. You know, the guy who was cooking the night prior, the guy who's cooking that night, and the guy who's cooking the next night. And it's this sense of community that's that's really remarkable, and we're 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 very fortunate in America to be kind of, able to offer these other chefs that stage. Yes, and and that is so gracious of you to open your kitchen and also to open your heart to helping end hunger for children here in America Absolutely. through sheer of strength. And and I just really commend you and wish you all the best with that. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, and are there still reservations available, or is it too late? Are you completely sold out? For those I think it, it, there are a few, a few, a few available, very few. I would okay. call the restaurant in Meadowood uh, to see which nights uh, there are still a couple of seats left for. Okay. No, that. That sounds great. And um, any special uh, desserts at all that that you're um, really eager to uh, <laughs> to sample? So dessert? 
Yeah, we're we're doing a show right now that we're like with the dates from uh, from uh, from Palm Desert. We do a it's a combination of dates and hearts of palm and caraway. It seems very odd, but it's it's quite delicious. Dessert is uh, I think often the most challenging thing to do in a kitchen. Um, trying to do something that? that's, that's because it's you want the dessert inherently has to be you want to make it yummy it has to be delicious mm-hmm. um, but you also want it to have a certain style to it you don't want to serve a you know banana split you want something that has some elegance and that and that is consistent with the rest of the menu but also appeals to those things that people want to see dessert so I think that's always the most difficult thing to do in the kitchen and so. that is so intriguing to be com- combining dates with hearts of palm well they both sort of struck us as these sort of tropical ingredients um, it actually works out quite well. Right, and there's just a natural sweetness to to that. Uh, yeah, well, the hearts of palm kind of are a natural sort of canvas because they're very um, they're very neutral in flavor, and they really work well with the uh, sweetness of the dates. Oh, that just sounds great. Now, do you have any advice for those of us who will be, you know, tr- trying to prepare our own Christmas holiday feast here at home? And you know, my listeners know that I'm probably one of the world's worst cooks. That I, I, th- I, I think I, th- I think the only advice would be to really enjoy yourself as much as you can. Enjoy okay. the people who are in your company and uh, not stress out about it too much. I think would be my advice. That's great. That 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 is <laughs> very good advice. Not to stress and uh, <laughs> and any favorite ingredient you enjoy using this time of year. Favorite ingredient that I enjoy using. I always leave that up to my wife. Actually, she Aww. you know at home at home she does she does all the good cooking. So oh, that's great. She uh, she uh, whatever she feels like using that day. Oh, that that is so nice that she's the one that that cooks here at home. So you don't even get into the kitchen and help. You just I do maybe maybe once every couple of weeks I'll get in there and cook and you know cook cook all day on the Sunday. But for the most part, she uh, she does a good cooking in the house. Oh, and what is the, your her favorite di- or your favorite dish that she prepares? She 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 makes some very good Thai food. Actually, she's half her mother's Thai. And she makes some good larb uh, and some good uh, little steak salad and great rice dishes and egg dishes. She's, she's quite a talent. Oh, that's great. And you know what? You just mentioned a, a dish I didn't recognize. What was the first one? A l- larb? larb? L-A-R-B. Uh, so you ground pork and basil uh, dish. It's really good. Wow. And how does she prepare that? Uh, it's, just, it's just ground pork, lots of basil, uh, sweet, uh, like a soy, fish sauce. What else is in there? Ginger. Uh, Thai peppers that her mother dries uh, huh. all, uh, in her garden, all sorts of good stuff. Oh, that that is great. So you have a wonderful uh, Asian infusion then. I do, very much so. She's my Asian infusion. <laughs> That's great. Oh, well, this is just terrific. And, and it just sounds like a wonderful, wonderful event that is coming up, the 12 Days of Christmas hosted by Chef Christopher Costo there at the Meadowwood in Napa Valley, featuring some wonderful chefs um, from all over the world. There's one coming in from Japan. Is that right? I noticed. That is Shintakagi, the wonderful chef. Oh, terrific. And and uh, one, was it from Mexico as well? Yes, from Pujol's uh, restaurant in uh, Mexico City. Oh, that's terrific. So really, it's it's an international celebration, and probably I, I would assume they would be bringing those uh, international cuisine and the flavors, the exotic flavors as well, 
there to Napa Valley and, and your kitchen. So I, I, I just wish you could record the, um, the sounds of the sizzling and, and just the fragrance. Well, we'll, 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 we'll have a video online um, probably early next year that kind of will show uh, the entirety of the event. Uh, so check that out at uh, www.metawood.com. Perfect, www.metawood.com, and you might be able to try to squeeze in a last-minute reservation there. Good luck with that, listeners, but definitely try to, to contact the Meadowood and, and see if there's any availability left. Um, and also, real quickly, you mentioned that there were two chefs that really inspired you in your culinary efforts. Could you could you share a little bit about that? Um, uh, is it Trey Foshi and Daniel Hum? Uh, yeah, Trey, I worked for in San Diego uh, early in my career. Daniel, I was his sous chef sort of the tail end uh, prior to taking over my first chef job. I was, I was Daniel's sous chef here in San Francisco. Um, they, both, uh, they both taught me very different things. They're both very different chefs and both very good guys and uh, friends to this day. So I'm very lucky to have uh, been in their kitchens at that time, and, uh, and uh, I, I very much enjoy the relationship we have to this day. Oh, that's terrific. And and did you learn, like, techniques, or, or what did you specifically learn from those chefs? Uh, techniques, how to manage your kitchen, how to manage the life-work balance, how to uh, everything, everything that goes into being a chef, and that's a multifaceted profession these days. So they're both uh, very, very, very good at what they do. And that's great. And I think there are a lot of life lessons our listeners and myself can take away from from being a chef, not only, you know, cooking, but it really is about time management. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and everything. Oh, well, thank you. Speaking of time, I know you're about to jump on an, uh, the phone for another interview. And I just so appreciate, Chef Christopher, you being here on Kitchen Chat with us and wishing you all the best for the holidays. And, oh, have a wonderful time. Maybe next year I'll, I'll sign up for the 12 days of Christmas. It sounds spectacular. And, well, we look uh, forward to it. And really, um, thanks for sharing your your inside tips and and tidbits with us here today on Kitchen Chat. So our next guest we have will be on very shortly. So meanwhile, thank you so much, Chef Christopher. Our next special guest today on Kitchen Chat here on webtalkradio.net is an incredible up-and-coming chef who was just voted by um, Time Out Chicago magazine here in Chicago area as the breakout chef of the year for 2011. Matt, Chef Matt Eversman, has a very impressive uh, culinary background. He trained at the Cordon Bleu in Chicago. He also uh, worked at Charlie Trotter's restaurant in addition to um, uh, Saigon Sisters where he created, I understand, some incredible dishes we're going to hear about. And Chef Matt is starting a new venture. He is going to open his first restaurant, which is called Oon, O-O-N, and you can find that on oonrestaurant.com here in Chicago uh, in spring of 2012. And he's involved in some other really fun media, culinary media things I can't wait to share with you listeners. So without further ado, welcome Chef Matt Eversman to Kitchen Chat. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, you are so busy. You've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> no pun intended. And well, yeah, I, got, I like I like staying busy. So 
Yes, and it was so much fun. I have to share with the listeners. I had the delightful opportunity to meet you in person at a Chicago Maze event at uh, the restaurant uh, Bistro Voltaire uh, a couple of months ago, and and it was I was so glad you were there because this was kind of my first. Uh, entree into um, a, a culinary event, and you were helping me identify the different um, foods I was eating <laughs> and giving me the background, and, and it was so much fun, and I think we bonded over wasabi. <laughs> and I was, yes. Yes, and I'll never forget, uh, in terms of wasabi, I, you know, I just thought, oh, the what you get with the Chinese uh, carryout and all that, that really that, that very spicy wasabi. Um, was wasabi, but could you just share with us real quickly about what wasabi really is? Well, wasabi, um, you know, the, the wasabi that you typically get, you know, when you go to a sushi restaurant or something like that, that kind of ball of Play-Doh looking green stuff that's really spicy and will clear up any sinus issues you yeah. got. Uh, that typically is actually a, a horseradish powder that just has food coloring in it. Um, so it's not true wasabi. True wasabi is very similar to horseradish. Uh, it grows in the same way. Um, but it's actually real true wasabi is incredibly expensive. Um, I don't know what it's going for right now, but I can tell you that um, when when you have it, you kind of treat it like it's gold. You know, <laughs> you want to take as good care of it as you can. But um, it, it can only be grown in very specific climates and in very few regions in the U.S. I think the only place in the U.S. right now that's that's growing it successfully is in uh, Washington state, uh, I believe. Wow. And why do you think that is in Washington state? Does, does it require a lot of rain or, or what? You, are the you know, truth, truthfully, we can't grow it here, so I don't really know, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but I, so but I do, I do know that the, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to actually try fresh wasabi versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the powdered stuff, it's like night and day. I mean, it, it really is incredible stuff. And uh, you can understand why it's become such a, a staple of Japanese cuisine. Yes. And, and I think I, I we made the comparison over um, dinner that evening that, that wasabi to the Japanese is like truffles to the French. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yep. So it's very highly treasured. and uh, Well, and you know, wasabi has been used, you know, originally it was uh, used simply because of, it has um, antibacterial qualities to it. So that's why it served oh. as sushi. They, they, they uh, smear the wasabi on the fish to help kill any bacteria that might be on it. So it's wow. practical as well as tasty. As well as what? As, as tasty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, isn't this interesting? Because I, I'm, you know, maybe they'll come out with a wasabi uh, hand soap or something. That's <laughs> the antibacterial application. I never realized that. That's. I'm not. I'm not so sure you'd want the soap. That you don't want to get that in your eyes. I'm sure. Oh, that's true. Especially those with contacts. That yeah, might not want to do that. Yeah. Well, this leads us to a very fun culinary journey that you have been on uh, within the the Asian food. Um, tell us a bit, how did you become interested in um, specializing in, in Asian food? And is that something you specifically studied at Cordon Bleu? No, actually, I, I have, I've never been trained in any, you know, uh, Asian cuisine or anything like that. It's just that you know, from, I mean, even when I was in school, um, any time that I had the opportunity to create something, um, it just always seemed to go back to kind of that Asian inspiration. And, 
and you know, I never do like a traditional dish or anything like that. You know, I don't go back and, and do the traditional beef curries or, you know, anything like that. It's just, I always seem to, for some reason, want to put like a ginger in there or fermented black bean or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think a lot of it goes back to it. It kind of fits the style of food that I like to eat in terms of I like really fresh and I like really, really clean and simple. And I like seasonality and regionality and all these things. And, and, and Asian cuisine kind of lends itself to that uh, very easily. Um, so I've just always been drawn to it. There's, I can't say that there's a defining time when I, you know, I ate a magical dish and I just was all done. Oh my gosh, this is what I must do. It just, right. it, it seems right. like it's just gone that way. It, it, very interesting. And, and a couple of things that you've mentioned, one is fermented black bean. What, what is that? And what would that be used in? Well, fermented black beans are, um, they're actually soybeans. They're not the traditional black beans that, that you and I think of, you know, from, uh, yeah. you know, Mexican food or, or Spanish food. It's, um, it's actually soybeans that have been salted and fermented. Um, so they turn this really uh, deep, rich black brown color and they actually have a very, very strong, um, umami or savory, uh, flavor to them. They actually remind me quite a bit of soy sauce. Um, as you can imagine, I mean, and as you know, I am more. just beginning my culinary quest, and I don't have the full vocabulary, so I'll be asking about different words you say and, and for spelling. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned uwabi. What was the word you just mentioned in describing that? <laughs> Umami. It's it's uh, considered along with, um, let's see, see if I can remember, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, uh, and then savory. Okay, and okay. that's umami. Okay, great. Hey, we're learning <laughs> the language here. Um, well, and- umami, umami is something that you find in, you know, they say that uh, Parmesan cheese is very heavy with umami. Um, shiitake mushrooms are very heavy with umami. Truffles, things like that. Okay, and so umami is just basically a description, not um, an ingredient. Well- well, no, it's not an ingredient, but it's being considered, an, uh, you know, one of one of the major tastes. You know, you can oh, you can okay. only you can only taste five things with your palate, but flavors and stuff that all comes from the olfactory sensors and, and your nose and everything like that. So, um, so oh. savory or umami is one of the major flavors, or um, I'm sorry, taste. Hey, oh, and you know what? I did not realize your your palate can only taste five tastes. Yeah, actually, a, a really interesting um, example of that or, or experiment so that you can kind of, you know, really experience this for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, take take a jelly bean, okay? Okay, and I love jelly beans. <laughs> uh, who doesn't love jelly beans? But um, take a jelly bean and okay. before you put it in your mouth, plug your nose, okay? Just pinch your nose mm-hmm. and then start to chew on the jelly bean. And all you're going to taste is sweet. It's just going to taste sugary, okay? Yeah, right. Then while you're chewing it, open up your nose and take a deep breath and all of a sudden you'll get that rush of flavor. All of a sudden you'll be able to determine, oh, this is a cherry, this is a pear, this is, you know, whatever the, whatever the flavor jelly bean is. It's really interesting. That is. Wow. And, and that's probably something that, you know, as a diner, we could, could experience um, the flavors within a restaurant. Is, is that something you recommend too in, in, in a way to approach the dishes on your plate? Well, I I think certainly, you know, that's why we smell wine before we take a sip of it, because you you can pick up all of those very hidden, subtle 
uh, flavors that that otherwise would be masked. Um, there's actually restaurants out there that are doing uh, dish presentations where aroma is actually served separately from the actual dish. You don't actually eat the item, but by by smelling it, by inhaling it, you actually introduce that flavor into the rest of the dish. It's really quite interesting. Isn't, and that sounds like a great diet, an aroma diet. <laughs> Someone should come up with that. <laughs> That's why I just I just cook bacon next to my food. I don't actually eat it. I just you know cook it so I can smell it. You know. <laughs> That's great. Now you mentioned uh, about the simplicity of of Asian food in terms of the ingredients, but it just seems like it's very complex to to prepare, or, or is it really, um, uh, I guess, easier than, than one would think? Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the same as if, you know, when you're, when you're learning to cook anything, um, when it's foreign to you or, or not uh, common to you, then it seems a little bit more complex. But, you know, especially with, with uh, Asian cuisine, there's, there's a lot of ingredients that are used in that cuisine that are not familiar to, you know, the U.S. market and to U.S. consumers. So a lot of times, you know, well, for instance, uh, I do a lot of shopping up uh, in the Asian markets up on the north side of the city in Chicago. Yeah, and the, the first Up on Argyle, exactly, yeah. yeah. And the, the first couple of times I went in there, I mean, it's like being in a foreign land. You, I mean, half the ingredients don't, you don't even recognize them, you don't understand them, you don't know how to use them. But it's just the same as the more you use them and the more you, you work at it, the better you'll get and the, the easier, easier it'll become. That sounds great. And and those are words I need to hear, Chef Matt, because I just recently announced that it is my goal to learn how to cook before my 50th birthday, which is March 22nd, 2012. Well, well, good for you. That's great. Well, also remember, though, that cooking cooking is not like all of a sudden defined, oh, I'm a cook. Right, it's, it's, right. A, it's a long process. It's something that one of the reasons why I love it, because you can do it your whole life, you know. That's true. And it is a passion of yours. And you are so creative in the kitchen. I was reading some um, uh, online articles uh, about your time at Saigon Sisters, and people raved about uh, your J, C-H-E, spelled (laughs) C-H-E, which is Mm -hmm. a warm custard with butternut squash and coconut milk dessert that, that you had created. What was your inspiration for that dish? That dish was actually, that was a, um, I, I have to give most of the credit to that one to uh, my sous chef from, from Saigon Sisters, John Boise. Uh, he actually developed that one while I was on vacation, believe it or not. But that was um, that was a take on a traditional Vietnamese dessert called jay. Um, and basically, you know, jay is usually sticky rice. Um, the one we had had, uh, you know, roasted pumpkin and, and things like that with it. And uh, this was just a really nice, reinterpretation of how to present it so you got those same flavors and that same overall profile just presented mm-hmm. in a totally different way yeah, and, and I guess you're right it's about translation in, in a lot of ways and bringing it to um, the American <laughs> palate and, and just reinterpreting it that that is great now I can't wait to hear about your new restaurant that is opening in spring of 2012 called Oon. Tell us a little bit about the concept of this restaurant. Well, Oon is, uh, it stands for Out of Nowhere, um, which uh, was something that was uh, 
very nice compliment I got from a couple of different people within the industry after I uh, won my award, um, just basically saying that I came out of nowhere, which in reality I did. I kind of went from from being a line cook at Main Street Market to uh, to getting some really nice recognition with Saigon. But um, but uh, we're going to be a, a Southeast Asian. Uh, contemporary American influenced restaurant. Um, so similar to what I did at Saigon Sisters, but but rather than being uh, strictly Vietnamese, we're going to borrow from all over the world. We're going to do, you know, Malaysian and Thai, Filipino, uh, Vietnamese, um, you know, uh, Korean, you know, from all over the place, and uh, and just presented in in a little bit more approachable, more modern um, takes on on the food. Like I said, I'm not a traditional I'm not a traditional Asian cook, so I don't I don't claim to be able to make, you know, the perfect pad thai or anything like that. But I know I can give you something that that you'll love equally as much. Oh, the the creative interpret reinterpretation of of the dishes and the flavors and mm-hmm. and bringing them to the Chicago area, you know, from the Southeast Asian. Uh, influences. Um, what what is one dish that that um, you really feel like is going to become the standard there at at Un? Well, I can't I can't necessarily say a standard <laughs> or anything like that. We're still months out from opening, but um, but I can tell you, you know, just recently we did a uh, we did a pop up dinner uh, to kind of preview some of the dishes and the direction mm-hmm. of the menu that we're going and. And uh, you know, I can I can give you some of those. One of them that we did was a um, excuse me, we did a uh, sashimi tuna, and we okay. served it over grilled watermelon mm-hmm. with a wasabi and garlic aioli, and then we did some ginger chicharrones with it, which are basically similar to pork rinds, except these are made out of tapioca, so they have that same texture, that really light and airy, you know, cracker consistency to them, um, with really a, a punch of ginger there. Neat, and you said you you mentioned two words I did not understand. Um, after the grilled watermelon, what was the other ingredient? It was uh, wasabi and garlic aioli. Oh, so was okay. So was, and what exactly is wasabi and garlic aioli? Well, an aioli is excuse me. Way oh boy, got got mixed up there for a second. <laughs> aioli is a garlic based mayonnaise. Um, okay. so it's like your traditional mayonnaise, but, but with garlic added to it. And so, um, again, reinterpreting things, um, you know, typically raw fish preparation, you know, Japanese style, you would have, like we talked about just a little side of wasabi to go with it. And this was just yeah. another way of introducing that flavor in a different form. Okay. And then the wasabi, will you use the real wasabi then for that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we'll good. Good. Oh, that's going to be fun to to taste that. And then you'd mentioned, and it was ginger. What was the last name? A ginger chicharron. And how do you spell chicharron? And oh my gosh, that's a, a chicharron. Uh, I'm I'm a cook, not an English major. Oh, okay, oh. that's right. <laughs> but basically, that was um, what you're saying is the and you're substituting tapioca for that. But um, um, what exactly is chicharron again? Well, a chicharron is basically, I mean, it's a, a traditional chicharron is, is not what I created. A uh, 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 true chicharron would be something made from pork skin. But uh, in, in, this, in this application, what I did is basically take tapioca flour and make a, make a dough with it. 
um, flavored with, with ginger. And then you uh, steam it, dehydrate it, and then you deep fry it. And when you deep fry it, you, you have just that right water content. It's very complicated. You have to get all sorts of, you know, tools to measure it and all that stuff. But when you deep fry it at the right mm-hmm. temperature, it puffs up and it turns into what, you know, you would think was a pork rind, except it doesn't taste anything like a pork rind. Neat. Oh, this just sounds great. So that sounds like it's going to be a real favorite for uh, for those who dine there, the sashimi tuna. <laughs> and what are some other fun dishes that you previewed? Um, another one that we did was um, we did seared scallops. Mm-hmm. We did um, tempura. Let's see. We did tempura. Um, sweet potato with um, miso, which okay. is another uh, kind of salty, savory uh, soy product. Mm-hmm. We serve that over top of a smoked blackberry puree and a shiitake mushroom ragu. Wow, this just sounds fabulous. These creative dishes that, that you are preparing there with the Southeast Asian influence, but with a contemporary American twist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what country do you feel has one of the most intriguing spices you've encountered from within the Asian cuisine? Most intriguing? Um, Well, I mean, I I got a lot of exposure to new new ingredients um, when I was learning about Vietnamese cooking. one of one of my favorite it's not actually a spice but an herb was um called uh, oh shoot now I'm blanking on it. Oh that's why does this always happen to me? Oh not to worry, not to worry. Oh betel leaf. I'm sorry, betel leaf is what it's mm-hmm. called. And it's this really interesting uh leafy green that it's very hearty, um, but it has virtually no flavor when you just you know, if you were to take it raw and bite into it, it really doesn't taste like much other than, you know, a green. Um, but when you apply heat to it, the, the, the best way to do it, I think, is, is to grill or um, broil it. It takes on this wonderful, really, really aromatic kind of woodsy, nutty characteristic to it that is really, really unique. I had never tried anything like it before. And so we were taking marinated um, beef and actually wrapping it in, in the betel leaf and then grilling them and serving them with, uh, with noodles and nip chum and, and uh, a lot of fresh herbs. Oh, how fascinating. So it's like a kind of a large lettuce leaf kind of look to it, or how big is the, Not, the leaf? They're typically about, I'd say they're probably three inches by three inches, but they look pretty much like a heart, actually. They have a, a really nice fine point on one end and then kind of open up. They almost look like, um, like we'll, we'll call it a spade, you know, like a, on a playing card. Um, pretty much looks like that. And it actually lends itself really nicely to, uh, to wrapping things in it. You can, almost, you, you can almost treat them sort of as a very small grape leaf or something like that. Oh, how fascinating. Well, that sounds like a great Valentine's Day dish. <laughs> Wrapped <laughs> in the heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. The bottom leaf. Oh, that is so fun. Well, I know that besides the um, Oon restaurant, but real quickly, let us know where it's going to be. Where is the, the um, Oon restaurant located? Well, we're going to be uh, down in the West Loop, down on Randolph. We're going to be at 802 West Randolph. Um, right across the street from Girl and the Goat, down the street from from Maud's Liquor Bar and and things like that. And uh, really just uh, couldn't be more excited about the location and the neighborhood that we're in. We have so many 
great, just fantastic neighbors down there. I, I think um, there's been a lot of announcements recently um, of other restaurants that are going down in that in that little stretch on Randolph. And I, I really think uh, Chicagoans are going to start seeing that as the dining destination in the city. Oh, that is fun to hear. The dining destination. You heard it here, listeners, here on uh, Randolph <laughs> Road. Well, uh, and that's planning uh, um, to open in spring of 2012, right? Correct. Yeah. Great. So I will make sure we put the link to um, your restaurant, Oon, uh, on the Kitchen Chat, Kitchen Chat uh, podcast so listeners can um, – be sure and click on there. Now, we have to talk about this really other fun, fun project you are in the process of working on. Uh, the chef that wears several hats, or several coats, <laughs> I must say, Chef Matt. You have been working on a TV pilot, and there's a trailer uh, to this, and, and we'll make sure, listeners, that, that you can get a first peek at this where it is called um, Chicago Kitchen Patrol. And if you could just tell us a little bit about the concept and, and uh, the filming of this. Well, this is, this is something that I'm, I'm really excited about. It's, it's been a lot of fun so far in the process, but um, we're doing, a, um, we're doing a, a TV show that basically, uh, as you said, it's called Kitchen, or Chicago Kitchen Patrol. And it's basically... A cooking, a cooking show where me and my partner, we go around and we solve food crimes. Um, you know, I think everybody out there can relate to this. Everybody has that one dish that, you know, no matter how many times you make it, you just can't get it right. Um, you know, you're for whatever reason, you know, maybe you screw up one thing or maybe you screw up a hundred things and throughout the process of cooking it. But basically what we're going to do, me and my, my partner, Amber Gibson, we're going to come in. We're going to talk to you and figure out what went wrong, where you went wrong, and how we can how we can fix it for you. So, um, you know, it's it's similar to other shows that you may have seen before, but the the big difference with this one, and this is what I just I love. I'm I'm I love having fun with things. I don't like taking things too seriously. So this right. is really interesting to me. The show is actually being shot in the style of a 1970s crime drama. So, <laughs> as, so as your <laughs> as your listeners will. We'll see if they if they watch the uh, the trailer. Um, for the trailer, we decided to really camp it up and go all the way full on with the '70s thing. So you'll see me in a nice big mustache. I got the big aviator glasses on, my hair all combed to the side, sliding on the hood of a car, you know, busting through boxes in in my car, things like that. So it's really it's it's really I think a unique take on on the uh, you know on a common cooking show. And, and I think it's really going to be a lot of fun and really interesting for people to check out. Oh, I think so. And we'll make sure we put the link to this TV pilot, Chicago Kitchen Patrol, that Chef Matt is going to be starring in. And can you share with us what maybe that first um, crime dish is that you're going to help solve? Oh, uh, wouldn't you like to know that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you may just have to wait to see what comes out. And that is fine. That is fine. <laughs> great. And I encourage listeners, uh, please um, email or tweet or Facebook me with with some of the dishes that you need help on. And and I'll make sure we forward this to to Chef Matt. And who knows? Maybe your dish might be one of the crimes that will be solved. So absolutely. This our our intent is to make this a, a viewer-driven show and, and to 
involve uh, you know those viewers out there that that need help and 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 want to uh, make sure that they don't commit a food crime among you know with their family or anything like that. We want to stop the problem before it starts. Basically, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's going to be really really fun. Now, on a more serious note, and and I remember you were mentioning this um, over dinner at um, um, Voltaire Bistro about your involvement and your your just true passion for improving the quality of meals at schools and, and how yes. working with children. Could you share a little bit about about the program there and, and what's happening with that? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. This is something that um you know it's been it's been going for a couple of years now, but it's a program called the Healthy Schools Campaign. Mm-hmm. And it was started right here in Chicago and it's it's gone national now, but mm. it's um it's a campaign to basically uh, renovate and revitalize uh, school lunches. Um, you know, again, it started in Chicago, so it originally started off with the Chicago public school system. Yeah. And it's it's all about making making meals that not only do students enjoy eating and they want to eat, mm-hmm. but um, a lot healthier for them. You know, right now the schools are really handcuffed in in what they're able to to serve their students. You know, for for budget reasons and for availability reasons and things like that. And so this program is, is really designed to, to give kids a healthier option at school. So um, what I recently participated in was kind of their, their um, big event of the year. It's called the cooking up for change. And what it is, it's a, it's a competition among several of the high schools here in Chicago, among the Mm -hmm. CPS system. And um, basically what it is, it's teams of, Students from these schools uh, get together, and uh, along with a chef mentor from within the city, which I was fortunate enough to be one of this year, mm-hmm. um, they they create a new school lunch. And um, there were 12, uh, 12 schools that participated this year. Um, I was with the Chicago Vocational Career Academy uh, down on 87th Street. I got to work with six just amazing uh, student chefs. It was really such a pleasure to work with them. But um, at this cooking up uh, change, what they do is you get together and you present to some of the, the best chefs and, and best culinary minds in the city. And, and they go through, they taste everybody. And at the end, they pick a winner and the winners, actually, uh, the students get uh, scholarships to, uh, to a culinary school here in, in the city. And the winners get to go on to the national competition in Washington, D.C. And uh, last year, the winning team was able to meet with uh, the first lady, Michelle Obama. And uh, and present that to her. So it was really um, really quite quite an event. And uh, this year, I was fortunate enough. My team actually took first place. So me and the guys, me and the guys from CVCA, we're going to be heading out to Washington in the in the spring. Oh, how fun! And with your, you're going to have a busy spring with your TV show, with your opening of the restaurant, and then heading to DC for this wonderful Healthy Schools campaign and. Cooking for change. Well, I have to ask you, what was the um, alternative meal that you came up with? You, you along with these young chefs, to um, uh, you know, to revitalize and re- renovate the school lunch. Well, what we came up with, we came up with um, an oven fried chicken. This actually, it it sounds. This is one of the things that actually astounded me. If I can mm-hmm. break for just a second, one of the things that astounded me um, when I started working with HSC was. This year was the first year that they were able to get in raw bone-in chicken. Okay, oh, wow. they've never been able to do that in the Chicago public school system before. 
Um, it's always been too expensive. It's been too hard to, to uh, obtain. But this year, for the first time ever, they were able to get that. So that just kind of shows you the limited choices that they have uh, within the school system right. um, and why it's so important that it gets reformed. But um, so getting back to the dish that we did, though, we did an oven fried Cajun style chicken. Ooh. We served it with cousins, which are um, cabbage and collard greens. And then we made a sweet potato, red bean and local corn salad. And um, we every lunch is served with uh, with milk and an apple to go along with it. And it really, uh, you know, it, it was a fantastic dish. Um, I'm so proud of the guys for, for coming up, guys and girls. I shouldn't be saying guys. The guys and girls for coming up with it. They worked so hard on it. We we I met with them four times, but these these students worked, you know, way 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 more than that uh, on this, and they really deserve to win. Oh well, congratulations to you and your team on that. And and that side dish was called cousins, which is cabbage and collard greens. Yep, yep. Oh, and how do you prepare it? The the cabbage and collard greens. Um, it was prepared uh, with carrots and onions, just sautéed, and then we uh, add in the cabbage and the collard greens, mm-hmm. put in some chicken stock and let it simmer until the greens get really nice and wilted and, and, uh, and cook all the way through. And then we seasoned it with uh, Cajun seasoning and Italian seasoning and some poultry seasoning and, and uh, really was, uh, was fantastic. Oh, that that is just terrific, Chef Matt, and and thank you for what you are doing outside of the kitchen and um, the school kitchen to to help to, to truly help bring higher quality and and better nutrition to to the students. And and good luck. We'll have to follow up and hear about um, the national competition. We'll have to follow you on that, and at the same time with your opening of of Oon and. Uh, the star role you have on uh, the uh, Chicago Kitchen Patrol. (laughs) Well, Well, certainly a lot going on, but I'm excited for all of it. Oh, this is great. And thank you so much, Chef Matt, for taking the time from your busy schedule to join me virtually here in my kitchen on Kitchen Chat and to share your your culinary experiences and expertise with our listeners today. So everyone, please check out Chef Matt Eversman. You can follow him on Twitter at M. Everson. And also you can check out the website for unrestaurant.com. I will make sure I provide those links so it will be an easy follow for you on that. And uh, thank you again, Chef Matt, for for being with us here on Kitchen Chat today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks. And listeners, please keep in touch. I love to hear from you. Love to hear about your favorite recipes and your fiascos and and dishes that you might need a little help with. So uh, please stay in touch. And as you gather around the table during this very busy season, just remember to take the time and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.